All right, we can go live or not. Okay, so uh, if you were just joining us live, welcome to HBF. We just uh, went over our prayer list. Uh, I won't get into all of that uh, on the web, but I will say that uh, Caleb and uh, uh, Caleb Larkham and Mitch Newland are home. They gave a great report. Uh, well, Caleb gave a great report on the trip to Oaxaca, and so uh, we're thankful for all God uh, did do and will do in Oaxaca through Joe and Amy Hendricksman and through the team there and the upcoming teams and trips that are scheduled. Uh, so, all right. So tonight we're back into our study of body life, and uh, you see our little image there. Um, and this study, and I'm not going to get into too much detail, but it, it deals uh, with provision and protection, which is really defining the local church. That's what we've been spending the last few weeks on. And then I'll get into a little bit more into the, the function, the relation, the identification, the mission and vision, and the interaction of the local New Testament church. So by way of review, um, as we're talking about provision and protection, uh, we have um, <coughs> covered uh, just what is the church. You know, the, ch- the church is our lifeline and our covering. It is a called-out assembly. It is, uh, you know, it is here to help provide and protect those that are part of the body of Christ. Then we saw uh, who's in charge of the church, which, of course, Jesus is the head. We are the body of Christ. The church is likened uh, to a building, and um, Jesus is both the founder and the builder, and we all have a part in that. And then we saw that we all have an important role in that building process. So what's the purpose is something else that we've covered. The purpose of the church is... Uh, to disciple all nations, literally teach all nations. We're going to be talking about that a lot in 2023 as we look on the field and we, we see what is our responsibility. It is to herd sheep, right, to teach all nations. So um, we are to make disciples of all nations. We're to preach the gospel. Uh, those go hand in hand. And that's where we picked up last week. And we talked quite a bit about preaching the gospel as we cannot make disciples if we don't preach the gospel. So it goes hand in hand with discipleship. Uh, good discipleship is good evangelism. And so the church should aid in equipping the saints, which are saved people, and to, uh, to accomplish the mission of God in preaching the gospel. And then we talked about, you know, why is it important to be joined? And this got a little bit more practical where the rubber meets the road. Uh, you know, what is it to be joined to a New Testament church? So we talked about just this, let me back up one, the local New Testament church is an important conduit to the believer's provision. That is really reiterating what we started with. Uh, but as you move further uh, down the outline, uh, we are here to feed the flock of God. Uh, the pastor, in particular, is here to feed the flock of God. The pastor's primary role is uh, <clears throat> in regard to church governance. We laid that out from the book of Ephesians. Uh, and uh, that is where we, we, I think we left off um, in what is the role. I think, hang on. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what is the role of the pastor in the church? Hang on here. Did I go too far? There we go. Yeah, I went too far. There we go. So, what is the role of the pastor in the church? That's as far as we actually got. And um, and so, uh, let's let's go ahead and pick up in our Bibles. I think last week, I can't remember who I had read here, but we... Uh, oh, it was Rex... So he's not even here this week. I ran him off. I put him into Ephesians 4. I wore him out. And, uh, man, I don't blame him. Uh, He's like, Brian, you're such a jerk. No, he didn't say that. Uh, Rex is wonderful. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's look at what is the role of the pastor in the church. Now, this is going to reiterate what we've already touched on last week, so I'm not going to tarry too long on this, but I'm going to read this for time's sake. Plus, the mic, we got the mic set up up here tonight, by the way, because we're going to have a, a, a cool little presentation at the end. So, um, so we need to, uh, so just we're ready for it. So, I'm not going to pass the mic tonight like I normally would. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're all called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, uh, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. And look at that in verse 6. And in you all. That's what it says. So God is in us of a truth. Um, And it says that in verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. 
Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. <clears throat> okay, so what's he talking about? Well, when we, and I mentioned this last week, you know, not only do, when we get saved, we get the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost that seals our soul. We become a child of God, a son of God. We're adopted into his family. And now uh, he's in us, and we then become a gift to the body. Hey, Jamie D. So when you go back to that image at the very beginning, that cover slide, you got this body with all these little parts. That's very much what we are. We're all, you know, none of us are God's gift to anything, but we are God's gift to the body. God has a purpose for each and every one of us, a role as we called it last week. But specifically in, in, in Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about the offices. So he transitions here after kind of putting a parenthesis, uh, in verse 9, he says, and, and now he that ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Uh, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens, uh, that he might fill all things, <clears throat> and gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the building of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So uh, this is an interesting thing because not only are... We all, you know, have a purpose and a role and are a gift in essence to the body. But then he mentions that there are certain officers uh, that are given to the body to help uh, enhance that, right? It's not that the officers are something more important. It's that their job in particular is to enhance the whole body's ability to edify or build itself in love. And so, um, and so uh, these are also a part of this. Now, in the text in Ephesians 4, I rarely do this, but... It's very clear in verse 9 that Paul is wanting to kind of drop in there this uh, important uh, theology concerning the, the ascension and the, uh, the literal location of Jesus, right? Descending to the center of the earth and then ascending to the third heaven. If you were to take that parenthesis out and read it verse 8 straight to verse 11, it would say, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, and then he gets into that parenthesis to explain that, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, presuming that we understand what he means there, which we do. You could go on to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he takes a couple of verses there and explains what he's talking about when he's dealing with the ascension. And it gets very specific that he went through the heavens, plural, right? He didn't just go up in the clouds. He went all the way to the third heaven. And so uh, he's being very specific about what he meant by the ascension in verse number um, in verse number 8. But the point is, is also that he gave gifts unto men. And those gifts are, well, they're, they're people gifts to the body. And so we'll talk about that in a whole other session that has nothing to do with this this. Uh, this course that I'm going through, so to speak, this course of study. But the the thing is, is that God has set the members, every one of them uh, in particular. He knows he's got all the body parts where he wants them. And, uh, and, and one of the things that we have is the role of the pastor uh, is, is important in this. You know what I just realized? <clears throat> where I'm at and what I'm talking about are not the same. I've covered this last week in governance. Okay, I see where I'm at. So, on my notes, I say next time, but I know that I am I am beyond next time. So, I have I forget forgive me for re, re, as I'm going through this. I'm like we talked about this last week. We did talk about this last week. So I'm going to keep moving. So the um, we talked about the body of Christ being born again and why it's important for us to attend church, which is really uh, where we need to be going here. And how important is each individual member? Hang on here. Let me get caught up. Nope. I, need, I went too far the wrong way. If you're watching online, pray for me. There we go. Um, 
I think I went a little too far, actually, on my notes. So forgive me for that. We are... What happened is I somewhere I dropped everything, I think, and uh, I am out of order. I'm about to make it worse. Can we start all over? What an important role in building the church. We've already covered that. I'm looking for where we attend church. You guys have your outlines, right? Yeah, so we should have been on, we dealt with our flesh. The problem is I'm not seeing my slide in my PowerPoint. Thank you, Bobby. There we are. Okay. All right. So now I'm, now I'm tracking with myself. Bobby, I appreciate it. We just needed to hear from Bobby. Now we're all good. Okay. So um, I, I, have, I, I was talking, I was, Ephesians 4 is where we started last time with, with Rex. So we, we should be now up to I will face obstacles. All right. So let me back up a little bit. So we're not, we were, we were back here. And there we go. I'll just catch up. So pastors hold the primary office in the church of governance. We talked about that. The body of Christ is composed of individuals who have been born again. And uh, why is it important for me to attend church? Okay, so that's where we are. So let me just kind of uh, pick up from there. So, you're, you know, number one, you're going to face obstacles uh, when you attend church, right? And what are the obstacles you're going to face? There we go. So we're in Ephesians. And uh, and once we've learned doctrine, we've been reproved, corrected, and received instruction in righteousness at church, we also uh, will have fellowship with other members of the body, which is essential in the fellowship, glorifies God, and is mutually beneficial to the body. That is where we left off uh, last week. Uh, and then you will find that there will be obstacles in attending church. And this is like physically attending church. So why is there obstacles? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6... And verse 12, the Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And then he says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All right, so you know there's going to be difficulty because you've got to put on your armor. Uh, a preacher once said, spiritual persistence brings satanic resistance. And that is true. However, as formidable as Satan and his agents are, there are other factors that will hinder our fellowship with God. And of course, the first thing is our flesh. Our flesh is one of the biggest obstacles that we're going to have to God, uh, for, to actually attending church, practically speaking. And uh, Romans 7, and we covered this last week, so this is a review, tells us that, that Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, uh, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it's no more, uh, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul here is being very personal and transparent in his letter to the Romans about his own battle with the flesh. And uh, we don't have to succumb to the will and desire of the flesh, but we will certainly feel its weighty pressure uh, to please itself instead of the will of God. So discipleship is simply spiritual discipline, right? That's what discipleship is. It's, it's teaching, it's discipline. Regular church attendance, by the way, is part of that. And a lot of times today, that's being forsaken. The Bible promises us that if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill 
the lusts of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, which is the reference there, verse 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice it doesn't say lusts, it just says lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They are, they are they're competing for one another's uh, use of your, your carcass. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So lost people kind of confuse this whole thing of walking in the Spirit. I mean, many of you know that. When you're lost and you look at Christians, you're like, oh man, I can't believe that. What a drag, what a bummer. They can't do all these things. But what lost people often don't understand is until they get older and they've been bit a few times by the serpent, uh, and then they finally start regretting it and finding out they're in bondage, uh, is that it's not that Christians um, are so much you know, in bondage to uh, not being able to have, quote, fun uh, by tearing their life up. It's a, we have a new nature, right? So if you're walking in the Spirit, you don't even desire what you used to desire. You know, I think that's all that conversation, that lifestyle that we all had. Well, man, I don't desire that. So just practical illustration for me when I got saved, I, I have a pretty weak conscience when it comes to, to partying, you know. And so, I mean, I don't want you to raise your hands, but if you've gone to enough, you don't have to get very old in life and go to very many parties to see that, you know what, there's a lot of bad things that go on at parties. Uh, from fighting to immorality of all kinds and all kinds of things go on once, you know, alcohol and drugs start flowing. And so at least, well, maybe not in your neighborhood, but the neighborhood I grew up in, it did. Anecdotally, or as an example, I remember one time uh, as, as literally, this literally happened. I could, it's like, like I can't believe it really happened, but it did. Literally, I was at one of these parties in a field uh, down by the river where Chris Farley lives, and uh, everybody was all crazy. I won't get into the details. I don't want to glorify sin. But literally, a guy's car got ripped apart and thrown in the river. I'm like, it's like, who does that? Crazy people, you know? Uh, that's not a place to be. It's a dangerous world out there, guys. And so, um, you know, you see enough of that, and you're like, something may not be right about this, you know? I was lucky to get out of that place. Um, anyway, I could tell stories. The point is, I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad, that's the life in the flesh. So I tell you that story because there's a whole other party going on. It's called, uh, it's called church. And we gather together because we got a different spirit, right? And we do crazy stuff, like take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and go all around the world, right? We have a whole different spirit. And so the things that we used to do in our flesh, we don't even want it anymore. It's like, nah, I don't have any, I don't have any desire. I don't really want to go back to the levee. I don't really care about any of that. Didn't want, I, don't, I, don't, I was almost had enough then. Right, so I'm like, you know what? That's enough of this. Uh, I'm going to go to another group of people because they have the same spirit in them, and that's the spirit of the living God. And that spirit is is really what is is what encourages us. And when we get around other people that have that same spirit, there's a certain liberty that is there. That's why when you can hear it in the in the singing and the congregation, when we walk in the spirit, we will have a supernatural desire for the fellowship and the feeding through the body of Christ. And so there are those that, that those that uh, saved but have not reckoned with submission, uh, for instance, to believers' baptism. So the word discipline at its core is not just like rebuke, like you're in trouble. At its root, discipleship uh, is is all about teaching others. And if you are not willing or able to submit to believers' baptism, which is public, which publicly identifies you with Christ, then the body of Christ will not identify with you. Right, and so there's this identification issue that uh, goes on, and so um, <clears throat> I am again. I am. I think I'm out of sorts in my. Yes, I am. There we go. I have this out of sorts. So um, when we walk in the Spirit, we have this desire for fellowship and feeding through the body of Christ. So there are those in the last days who simply want their ears tickled. But true worshipers worship God in spirit and truth. So John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so one of the other things that will be obstacles to us going to church, I mean, talking about literally attending church, our own flesh will get in the way, and uh, it'll, it'll, bite, it'll fight you. And it'll say, well, you're too tired, or, uh, you know, I don't need that today. 
um, but also others, right? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. And so there will be people who will who simply don't understand or perhaps don't appreciate your zeal to assemble. Uh, in some places, the world uh, in the world, this is institutionalized as a religious uh, political tyranny. Right? In those cases, they would fall under direct influence of Satan and his plan to hinder Christ's uh, kingdom. Now, in America, we don't have to worry about that. So that means like if you live in China right now, I mean, literally, you may not have the freedom, most likely do not have the freedom to assemble in, in, a, in a biblical way. Uh, and so that's not cool at all. But in some places in the world, uh, it is like that. It's institutionalized. In the USA, we're, we're, you know, we're primarily a godless pagan society, but we're still, for now, free to meet. And, and the world craves what we have, yet mocks and discourages those from pursuing the very thing they secretly desire that they had. The belonging you feel in the body of Christ, the sense of feeling belonging uh, or feeling like a family and having that belonging, that direction, and that certainty that you obtain from learning and obeying God's word can often trouble, irritate, and even upset friends and family who are either convicted of sin or controlled by, do, by it. <clears throat> and, and doing right is often uh, convicting to those who cannot escape the bondage of sin. And so uh, I'm sure even in this room, there's probably some of you that can, can uh, have had a testimony where you could uh, you know, identify with that. And I just, let me ask, are you guys on track on your outline? Okay, good. Um, so res- <clears throat> following Jesus will often <clears throat> bring a natural separation between your lost friends and you as, as interests change and they may not enjoy your zeal for the things of God. Now in this room, I think we got most most of y'all are uh, you know you're already there. You know you know what I'm talking about. But it may be a bit that you're a new Christian or you're watching online. And I, this is really kind of I know for me when I first got saved, <clears throat> and it's it's different for everybody. But um, there were there were others that that really <clears throat> you know kind of discouraged me uh, in going too far with this thing. How many of you ever had that discussion? Right. It's okay to be saved. I've heard, I've, oh, it's good. But don't go too far. So don't get fanatical. And, and, and so, you know, what does that really mean? Well, don't, don't change your lifestyle, right? Don't get caught up in that. Don't get, because don't, there's those kind of crazy Christians where it just takes over their whole life. They become a whole different person. Yeah, it, that person should look like Christ. Obviously, you don't lose your own personal identity altogether, but you do lose a lot of the attributes that you had before you knew Jesus. Uh, that's actually not a bad thing. As we die to self, Jesus and the things in our life should should be a lot better. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness, right? So those things should be manifest in our life. Those are not always appreciated by others. And it could be a close relative. It could be your closest friend's. Uh, sometimes it's not understood and they're just sincerely ignorant, right? So I'm not throwing those folks under the bus. One thing about lost people is lost people are lost. So I've been on both sides of this coin, right? I've been there where I'm like, <clears throat> that's great. You know, let's go do something wrong, you know? Um, and so uh, it's, it's um, when you're lost, you're in their flesh. You don't know anything else, no matter how you cover it up. But once you're saved, there's this, it's, you're different. And you need a group of people to connect with. Now, not everybody. One of the things that used to discourage me in my zealousness as a young believer is when I would walk in the congregation and uh, I always, at first I thought, oh, everybody's on the same page here, you know. And I found out, you know, fairly quickly, that's just not the case, right? There are still carnal Christians and there's a lot of them in America uh, frequenting the hallways. I'm sure at Heartland, there's plenty of carnal Christians and I probably don't know them all because I don't sit around uh, despite what you might think, I'm not I'm not chasing anybody around town spying on them. Right? I don't care. Well, I do care, but I'm not watching anybody. That's the Holy Ghost that's convicting you. Um, the reality is, though, that there are some there are some people uh, that are really you know kind of like snakes in the grass, so to speak. And so when you come across them as a young Christian, it can be discouraging. I know when I first came to church, those were some of the others. So I'm like dragging my friends to church. You know, I'm all excited. You got to come to this church. It's different. It's cool. You got to hear this preacher, you know, doing all that stuff. And I'm bringing them in. And then I, one of my friends, this guy I'm discipling for, for, this is a true story, uh, bring him in. And, and then I find out like this young guy, he's like 20, 21, whatever. 
he's there and he knows him. I'm excited because I'm excited because he knows this guy and this guy's like a church kid. Um, and I'm like, oh, cool. You know, you know, this guy's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I come to find out this guy's like been buying beer for him and stuff. I could have, I could have throat punched that guy, the Christian guy. I was like, what are you talking about? You know? So I was very upset that, you know, the things I was running from, there were people at my church that were contributing to that. And friends, I was trying to pull out of that. You see what I'm saying? It was like, I'm like, I didn't expect that in my church. So I learned real quick that not everybody, even in the church, was encouraging or as zealous for the Lord as I was. I was pretty radical, and I still am, by the way. And so um, so I was just like very, I have a lot more grace now than I had when I first got saved. So uh, I learned over time, you know, of course, that brother, that, that other brother that was uh, hooking my buddy up in things he ought not was, you know, he needed to be perfected too. So he was in a state of, transition. And uh, and so I hope he got all that right. But at any rate, uh, following Jesus will bring uh, this natural separation. Baptists, by the way, are noted for separation. There's a reason, because we're not of this world. And a lot of Baptists back away from that <clears throat> today, because Baptists can get a little quirky. You know, you look like the Amish, you know, everybody, some of our Baptist brothers, it's like, Man, those those rules are a little bit weird, man. That's not what the I mean. You're making the law, you're making you know your preference into a law, and that's not necessary. Uh, the Bible gives us plenty of liberty, uh, but you got to have that balance between liberty and um, uh, license, right? <clears throat> there's uh, there's or lascivious. Really, the balance is liberty between lasciviousness and uh, legalism is liberty. And so you want to be you want to be balanced in that. You don't want to you don't want to get so far to one side that anything goes when the whistle blows, and you're not and you're afraid to call out sin, or you're more worried about what the world thinks than what God thinks. That happens all too often. Um, and you don't want to get to the other side, <clears throat> right, where you're setting up. You're so scared of the world, the flesh, and the devil that you set up a bunch of legalistic parameters because you don't trust God to take care of His peeps, right? And you got to give them opportunity to deal with their sin. Uh, our our church is structured in a way where we obviously deal with sin. Uh, the ordinance, by the way, as I was established in HBF, I realized the ordinances are automatically set up to help us with these things. That's why people come into the church. Of course, we do that monthly. But every if someone has to go out of the church, we do it on the Lord's Supper, right? We do it at that time when we're remembering what Jesus did for us, just like Paul said. There's time to come in, time to come out. Right or, or uh, you know, set apart so that the devil can have his way and they can learn. So we resist the natural urge to strike back when we're walking in the spirit. When we allow God's spirit to have control of us, uh, we resist the natural urge to be petty uh, and hurt those who hurt us. Right, and so we need to be patient and kind and caring as as uh, you were once lost as well. Right, and so we gotta we gotta remember we're new creatures in Christ and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Always leaving the door open for relationships, even when people treat us poorly. That comes with maturation and maturity. So I'm still on point B here. Others will will can discourage us at times. Now Romans 12 says this in verse 19: Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine; I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Don't throw a punch him. If he thirsts, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So you're supposed to be good to folks, even if you see them as an enemy. And of course, we've got to know who the real enemy is. It's our own flesh, and uh, <clears throat> it's the devil. Point First uh, Peter 4 says this in verse 7, But unto the end of all, th- the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Uh, you know what? Charity goes a long way. So we're living in a post-Christian culture that worships at the altars of pagan and secular ideology. Therefore, it's increasingly important that we are prepared to love those who hate us uh, as their destruction is pending if they do not receive the love of the truth. Right? Second Thessalonians 2.12 says that. So there's coming, there's coming a great deception soon where people are going to be completely beguiled um, <clears throat> by the Antichrist system. They will be judged, they, and a lot of them will spend eternity in hell. So we need to be really sensitive to that now because we live in a culture where uh, the, the ideology of the day is, is uh, very pluralistic and synchronistic as well. So what does that mean? So there's, 
there's multiple gods you can serve, right? And you can sink your, your faith up to everybody else's faith, right? It's just kind of like a, a potpourri of, of, of faith. Or if you want to be an atheist, that's fine. There's no, there's no need to believe. It's almost better to start there than in some of these other ideologies that float around through the United States today. Uh, <clears throat> and so we need to make sure that we love those that don't love us. Because, like, for instance, right now, I mean, even today you heard about the guy who won't make a website. How many of you heard about that already? Oh, nobody. Nobody? All right. So they're going, remember the cake guy? They went after the guy who wouldn't bake, make a cake a few years ago. And then they went after the guy because he wouldn't make a cake again. They did. I didn't know. They went after that guy twice. I just heard that today. I thought they just did it once. They went after him twice. And Well, now there's another dude or a dudette, somebody in Cal- Colorado, I think. Uh, where is it? California. Oh, is that... No? Does he know what we're talking about? I don't know. So anyway, there's a there's an there's another couple, or not a couple, there's somebody who makes websites. And for whatever reason, you know, they're a Christian and they don't want to do a, a transgender website. They're like, no, that's okay. I don't want to do that. Well now they're getting drug all the way to the Supreme Court over the deal. And of course, uh, they're gonna probably try to put them out of business. It's punitive, right? <clears throat> so the world, the flesh, and the devil don't like us. Um, there's gonna be obstacles, right? Of course, I think honestly that kind of that kind of, for lack of a better word, persecution. Um, I think if anything, that draws us closer together. It makes you understand more your need to assemble, and as these, as the day of the Lord draws to near. But Christians got to wake up and realize, you know what this this thing that we do on Sundays and the things that we do throughout the week, uh, <clears throat> this is this stuff doesn't just go on uncontested. The devil is real, which by the way is our next point. There's opposition. There's obstacles. At a very practical level, there's your flesh. You know, it'll it'll mess with you any given day. Maybe tonight you're like, oh man, I'm tired. It's dark out. Why'd they change that time? I want to go home and go to bed, you know. But you're here. You overcame the flesh. And then and then maybe somebody, some Christian from church cuts you off. And then you're like, oh, I can't believe those Christians, man. If they go to our church, why? You know, I literally, true story. Uh, and I'll go back to point C here in a second. I invite this guy to church, and he's been to this church. Well, I don't know if I should say his name or not. But anyway, uh, led his wife to Christ. Um, I think I led him to Christ, and um, we're good friends with him. And I invite him to church. He's an unchurched fella. I mean, his church is not his, it's not his culture. Not, you know, so he's coming out of the world, and he's coming to church. It was early on, first, second week he's there. Man, somebody in our church, and this is our sending church up in Kansas City. It was called Kansas City Baptist Temple. So we ran probably 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people on Sunday. And so um, wouldn't you know, now this guy for a living sells cars. So he's got his dealer car in the lot, the car that he drives. Someone in our lot comes up and just scrapes along the side of his car and drives off. And man, that poor dude, you talk about being an obstacle to going to church. It was hard for me to... And convince him, like, hey, brother, because his first thought was, if that's Christianity, man, I can't believe someone at the church scraped up against my car and didn't stop. I'm like, hey, brother, understand, not everybody at our church is walking in the Spirit. Not everybody there is even saved. I don't even know if it was. It could have just been someone driving through our lot. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and uh, and so those things become obstacles. And so don't let those type of things discourage you because the devil wants to knock you out of the ball game man and what you need is is there and you need to keep going you need to be a part of that and so you guys are getting what i'm putting down aren't you other people can anybody ever been discouraged by other people yep you know what helps you with that it's just knowing how much you can be a discouragement to yourself (laughs) right so so you can give others grace you can always extend grace to others when you realize how much grace has been extended to you and then that kind of helps take the edge off of that Kind of, kind of, because it's a little prideful, by the way, to let other people discourage us from doing what God has commanded us to do. I mean, why would why would we let what someone else has done discourage us from doing what God's told us to do? Right? We, are we coming here for other people? No, we're coming here for Jesus. That's why we come. And sometimes people elevate others too high. We come to this place to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you're a young Christian, it's kind of hard sometimes to get over those things. Um, and to my brother's uh, credit, he did overcome that. As I mentioned, he's even been here. Uh, and he had to drive quite a ways to get. For a while, they were, this guy I'm talking about drove the furthest of anybody that ever was regularly attending this church. I mean, he came all the way way up north of the river to get down here on the weekends. And so that was pretty cool. All right, so the devil is not point C. 
So we don't want to minimize the influence of Satan. But I do think we often blame him for things that he's not directly involved with, right? So he said that we, um, uh, having said that, we do live in a wicked world, a fallen world, and you will face spiritual opposition from the kingdom of darkness as you follow Christ. I mean, real opposition. So turn to 1 Peter 4. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Peter 4.12, the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. <clears throat> but rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, they hate Jesus and his church, so we should not be ignorant of his devices. The good thing is, as I've already mentioned, the church is here for your protection right, in your provision. So one of the safest places to be uh, is in the church, even, of course, though the devil wants to stop you there. The sin we give ourselves uh, to will hinder our desire to fellowship, right? So the sin we give ourselves over to uh, will hinder our desire to fellowship. So there are things that we can dabble in that will hinder our fellowship and give place to the what? Devil. Don't give place to the devil to fulfill the lust thereof, right? So if you have strongholds in your life, such as drug use, pornography, a history of satanic worship, you know, you do at times need to call upon the pastors to help you specifically with accountability and help because the adversary is a liar and he will tell you that you're not worthy or that you can take care of all of it yourself. And this is simply not true. You do need help from the body to help you in these battles in the world and with the flesh and at times with the devil. And from time to time, not to get crazy, but from time to time we even do have like demonic activity, like somebody's got real issues, you know. So there's uh, beds are shaking or whatever, you know, you got to deal with all of that. And and uh, because there's been openings, right, you get on certain drugs, you go through certain occult r- rituals, and you know what, you, you play with the devils and they're going to show up, right? So, so um, you know, that's just like the, the flesh and it's just like... Um, <clears throat> others. It's just stuff that the adversary uses. So uh, so we don't take that stuff lightly, and we help uh, in those situations as well. Generally, as I said when I, initially on this point, though, most of the stuff we blame the devil for, we just take care of with our own flesh. We're really the ones that are the biggest problems. It's not the devil at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, he spends very little time on a lot of us today. And part of that, too, is just to be clear, uh, the culture we live in is systematically, of course, trying to indoctrinate uh, all of us and our children. And you can see that very clearly with all the things in the current news cycles, right? You got pedophilia being normalized, you know, stuff that 20 years ago I was warning about is now coming to pass. And what comes after pedophilia will become um, bestiality. Thank you. That's where I was going. And then after bestiality, transhumanism. So it's a process. That's how you get to the Greek gods, right? So you start off by confusing the genders, then you confuse the, um, then you just destroy humanity. I mean, this this whole pedophilia thing is horrible, but it's becoming mainstreamed. And then you get in, yes, ma'am. Uh, transhumanism would be the the convergence of like you hear these people right now thinking that they can be dogs or cats or whatever, and so transitioning humans into something other than human. Um, in Greek mythology, of course, you could be half man, half horse, you know, and all of that. So when, I, when I'm appealing to that mindset, I'm, historically the, the Greek mythology as a transhuman uh, type of thing, um, as we go forward, I don't know exactly, but you see in Revelation some crazy-looking beings as well. So transhumanism is, uh, you know, iron mixed with clay. And, and so, you know, from a very secular perspective today there's movements to incorporate technology into the human um not just psyche but actually eventually into human um humanity i'm afraid and so uh which that would be a big mistake and so there's um i'm not quite i don't want to i'm i'm getting ready to jump off into areas i'm not exactly sure what's going to happen but i know that you should not be morphing the the standards of God. Marriage is between a man and a wife, starting with that. Uh, so homosexuality, of course, is absolutely forbidden in the Scripture. Marriage is not biblically between a 
a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Uh, if I said that 20 years ago, you know, everybody would go, yeah. You say that today, just saying that right now with a camera on, on the internet. I mean, your heart might beat a little bit faster because you're afraid somebody's going to come and sue you for being some hater, you know, some transphobe. You're going to have people marching in your parking lot or something, putting up little gay pride flags or something like they used to do at the entrance of the parking lot. So, um, <clears throat> you know, whatever. It's biblical. The Bible is what it is, and there's a reason for it because God loves humanity. He designed humanity, and you've got to believe that he's, God is, is who he says he is, and he's created men for his purposes, and he has, and he's redeemed man through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe that with my whole heart, and so I take seriously the admonition, as well as I know all of you do, uh, that you know he hasn't created um, uh, Adam and Steve, right? <laughs> it was Adam and Eve. And so he did that because that's what's best for humanity. That's why he designed procreation. It doesn't even work if you don't do it God's way. And so t- just using procreation as an example, to have a family, a perverted, if you pervert the system, as, as many are today, and is also being promoted in my child's... Um, and I do have a little axe to grind here. My daughter's taking online courses, and just yesterday, I don't know if you know this, Amy, one of the examples was a couple homosexuals in her health class in, in the actual the online curriculum. And you're talking about AIDS and, and, and prophylactics, all this baloney. And I'm just like, you know, of course, abstinence was offered, so praise the Lord for that in this curriculum. But just the fact that, you know, my daughter's got to wade through all that. And what's worse about that is it's no big deal because she's so used to it because that's our culture today. <clears throat> it wasn't shocking, you know. Um, and it's just disgusting to me as a parent, as you understand. So I'm getting off my preaching and getting a little bit of personal hobby horse. But my point is is that it doesn't work, you know. And so there's no biblical procreation uh, going to happen there. So what So so what do you got to do? You got to go around. You got to use technology, right? So, hey, and I'm all for technology uh, in regard to child conception, which some Christians are not. Um, I'm okay with using the technology. As long as it's between a man and a, and a woman that are married, biblically, they're, they're a man and a woman. But no, I'm not for it in any other instance because it's not what God's ordained. And so, eventually, that will be hate speech. And, and, and so, because the technology will compensate what used to be obvious that God didn't ordain now. It's like, well, we can kind of get around that by using technology to get around God's design. Part of that is the transhumanistic uh, mindset uh, that we can do anything we want with the human genome. But the other part of that is just simple rebellion and God's allowing blindness to occur uh, among the scientific, uh, some of the, I don't want to even say scientific community, but in the, in the, in the, in the world of, of uh, people that are elites that think that they can, you know, Uh, become God, in essence. And they can dictate, um, you know, the color of their child's eyes. They can dictate this and make superhumans. Not much different. What's ironic is not much different than what what, uh, Hitler was working on back in the days of the Hitler, uh, that World War II, during the the days of uh, Germany's rise and uh, of terror, I might add. So these these concepts are not new. And uh, I don't know what that has to do with church membership. But anyway, uh, I just know this. There is opposition from the devil. And we do need to make sure that, um, you know, very subtly there's messaging and things that that that, um, that are, are being put out in the culture. And I, I will say, what does that have to do with church membership? Well, where else are you going to go and get the other side of the story? Are you going to Google it up on YouTube? There might be a few positive. There is some really good stuff out there. Don't get me wrong. But God didn't design it that way either. He designed us for, for us to come together. I mean, I am so glad that Bobby and, and, uh, and uh, all of our sisters, uh, who, uh, Dottie, thank you, and whoever else is watching online is watching online, maybe Pastor Randy, whatever. I'm glad that we can assemble virtually, but ultimately God has designed us to be together we all learned that through covid i mean it was it's just it's great to it's great to be online but it's better when you can get together right it, god has designed it that way i mean i love talking to amy but it's better to be with her you know i, I would much rather go home and greet her after work than call her on the phone and say hope you had a good day honey i'll see you tonight at 10 <laughs> you know and so it's better to be together uh, and so that gets to the next thing that i want to talk about with some of these obstacles is frequency and consistency so 
and in Acts 5:25 or 4, it says, "And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ." Uh, and so, ironically, what I was talking about does really go together with what where we're going here, because there is something about the preaching and the teaching of Jesus Christ. You're not going to get it anywhere else like you get it in a Bible-believing local New Testament church. And since this is going out into the atmosphere, and I don't have any idea who's listening, um, you know, the called-out assembly, the church of, the, of Jesus Christ, is going to, a biblical one will be based on the Scripture itself. And the tenets for the doctrine, the teaching, and the structure is going to come from the Bible. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, the Bible says, And how I kept back nothing, Paul speaking here, that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So it was a public thing and it was from house to house. What we teach here, we're not a cult. This isn't some secret knowledge. We have the Bible and we are to share with everybody, right? These aren't secrets that God loves the world, but yet it's a big secret. It's, it's, I mean, it, not enough people know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Not enough people uh, have believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we got to get it out there publicly and we got to go house to house. Uh, to make it happen, the early believers met daily to teach and preach Christ. It wasn't just once a week. It was daily. And we see the apostles taught publicly, right, and went house to house. So this isn't something to just be, well, you just do that at church on Sunday. And this is another thing that rubs people the wrong way, is that we are public. So you can get out and talk about anything in the world today, but don't be talking about Jesus. I mean, that's religion. That could be divisive. That could be hate speech. That could be violence. You need to be careful. Take that home. Don't be, don't be talking out loud about that. That'd be fine if it wasn't for the fact that the only message on the planet that will actually t- transform someone's life and take them from hell to heaven happens to be the message we steward. And if we truly love people, if we really do care about our enemies, all we can do is tell them the gospel because we have no other options. If a building is burning down, what kind of people are we to stand on the other side of the street and say, oh, wow, there's a, if they just had, a, I just happen to have a fire hose here. I happen to have a pickaxe. I happen to have, I happen to have a fire truck. But I don't want to offend anybody while they burn up in that building, right? I mean, we have to go forward. Well, you're not going to get people with that kind of mindset any other place but in a Bible-believing local New Testament church. You've got to assemble together uh, in spite of all the obstacles because the encouragement that you really need is going to be found in a local New Testament church. I don't know about you all, but I get encouraged. The biggest thing I get from assembling on Sunday is encouragement. You shouldn't come out of here discouraged. Now, you might leave convicted. Uh, you might need to change something in your life. You might, need to, you might be contemplating something that the, God's talking to you about. That's great. But at the end of the day, your relationship with your local New Testament church should be propelling you in the very, the very mission of God, which is to preach the gospel and make disciples. And you're not going to find it anywhere else. That's why our fellowship at churches is so important. That's why we have a fellowship at churches, because we recognize that. It's getting harder. Now, we're not the only ones on the planet. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. Okay, so there's lots of good Bible-believing local churches out there. But I will tell you, not as many as there used to be. And definitely, even if it's not an issue of numbers, not as influential as we used to be. And that's for a variety of reasons. All right, I'm going to take a deep breath. Any questions on that? I hope, I'm, I hope this isn't too boring for you all. All right, so next point. Um, let's get to number eight. <clears throat> what is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is defined in Scripture as the church, Colossians 1.24, uh, who now rejoice... Oops, uh, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you all and fill up that which is <clears throat> behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, Colossians 1.24. So Jesus, Paul says that his body's sake, which is the church. So Jesus' body is the church. Now we already saw 1 Corinthians 12 a few weeks ago, so we know about that. Romans 12.5 says, so we being many are one body, uh, in Christ, and every one members in uh, or one of another. So we're one body. This is the church, and we are members one of another. So what I do affects what you do. What you do affects what I do. The church is also the pillar and the ground of the truth. First uh, Timothy chapter three and verse fourteen says, "These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou uh, oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God." 
Remember, it's also a structure, which is the church of the living God. Well, are we his body or are we his house? Yes. And we're also the pillar and the ground of the truth. Right? So we are, we are like, a, we're like a landmark. We're a house. We are a, we are a pillar and ground of truth. Uh, we are a body. We're all of those things. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. So just as Israel was responsible to steward the law in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the steward of the truth is the church of the living God. So I'm exceedingly thankful that God has given us a publishing ministry to do that in a very tangible, physical way. But also we must do that in our discipleship because if your Bibles are all gone, where else are you going to find it? You're going to have it hid in your heart, right? You're going to have it hid in your heart. And so we need to get this Bible that's on paper into the heart of men. We do that through the ministry of the local New Testament church. That's why we are serious about missions, and that's why we're serious about ministry, and we're serious about uh, in that ministry uh, is Bible publishing. It's all part of it. So point C, uh, you know, what is the body? Well, it's, uh, the fellowship is based on our relationship around uh, the Word of God. The, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Fellowship is based on our relationship around the Word of God. As we minister the Word to one another, many think fellowship is just hanging out, eating a meal. And that can be important part of fellowship. But biblical fellowship is ultimately based on our communion around the Word of God, preaching the gospel and ministering to the saints as I've already set forth. And then D, <clears throat> there's ways to find uh, how you can find fellowship. Now this is, again, hopefully very practical. Um, I just went over this last Sunday, and this is pretty elementary, but I'm going to do it again. And and it really doesn't matter, really, if you're not a member of Heartland or uh, our church, this kind of applies almost to any church, uh, but not necessarily specifically. Um, But most start with the congregation, what I call the congregation level, connection with a church. Like, um, how many of you the first time you came to Heartland came to the worship service? Okay. Uh, and that's not always the case, right? So there's always an exception. But for the most part, most people, when they may, they interface with our church for the first time, how many of you did on a Sunday morning? Okay, almost everybody, except for for you. You came with the kids? Bible conference. Okay, well, that's a neat time to interface with our church because you really see what we're all about. Uh, so it's hard to keep up that standard uh, throughout the year. But anyway, uh, Bible conference and vision conference, so great times to come. But most of the time, right, when you come to any church, you not always, but oftentimes uh, you, you go to the main service, right, the worship service, what we call the main service. Why do we call it the main service? That's a good question. Huh? Yeah, it is a center point. Uh, it is the, um, it's not just tradition. It's the time in which we believe that God is speaking to the, the body corporately as a group. Like he's got a message for us. Now in this church, we got multiple messages. Why? Because we have a, adult Bible fellowships as well. And those are heavily uh, dependent upon the Bible as well. Although there's other, I'll get to that in a minute, what those are about. But before I jump off of that, the worship service is where a lot of times People come together for vision and connection as a body. When we went to two services, it troubled some people. Why did it do that? Well, because they couldn't see their friends. Now, truly, when you're running over 824, when you're running 240 plus, 250, 300 people, you really don't know everybody anyway. Um, Technically, if over 80 people, you probably don't know everybody after that. It's hard to maintain more than 80 relationships scientifically speaking. Um, and they become acquaintances after that. You know what I'm saying? And really, you only probably have a smaller group, 20 or less people that are really intimate with you. But nonetheless, that's that's neither here nor there. Once we went to two services, um, and we had more people overall, but it was, it was it, people like being together in one group because they feel like it, they're connected, right? That's what the worship service does. It it's, uh, and, and when we can do that, we will do that as long as we can do that, which is right now is no problem. We can do that. So, uh, so you know, you want, it helps connect everybody around the mission, the vision of where we're going as a complete unit. And that's super important because it's something, especially if you're a member, this is something you're not just showing up like it's the country club or a club. This is, we're all going somewhere, eventually to heaven. 
And we're all going to give account for what goes on around here. And so it's important that we have vision, that we're on mission, and that we feel like we're collectively going somewhere. And we are. Um, <clears throat> but we also have a highly uh, recommended community, right? The congregation is, is good. There's a time when you, you, you need to address everybody at once and give a collective charge and a collective vision, and we do that every week on Sunday. It's the first day of the week. But we also have adult Bible fellowships, and I, I categorize that as community, right? So the adult Bible fellowships are designed to foster community. So it's not just everybody coming in and, and getting excited about that one vision, that mission, but there's also relationships, right? The word Bible in our adult Bible fellowships, an acronym for biblical instructions believers live every day. And so those classes are typically less than 80. I don't think we've ever had an ABF that's over 80 people. I don't even think we've gotten close to that over the years. And so uh, maybe on a roll, but I don't think so. I don't even think on a roll uh, we've had 80 people in an ABF. Um, And so um, these fellowships are not just another message from the Word of God, though they do focus on the Word of God. They also prioritize relationship in a way that we can't even do in the main service as effectively. Uh, and we we've made some we made some decisions early early on here how we want to do the main service. So you may not know this, but when we we started the the church, we kind of did church like a lot of small churches, and we started off, and we had announcements, and we had a terrible music because I led the music, and we so I do the music, we do announcements, and eventually we get around to the preaching. Uh, and in our announcements, of course, we're talking about discipleship and we're talking about missions and we're talking about all the activities, even when we were a tiny little church in a, a room that could, I mean, could fit up here in our platform, <laughs> you know. And one day, uh, credit Tracy Sloan, by the way, for this. He's like, you know, since we preach the word and that's really what we're about, why don't we just put all that announcement stuff at the end? And when people walk in, let's just let's just give them what we're about, which is the Bible. I was like... That's a great idea. And so we switched it up. We never went back. Where You walk in, obviously we praise the Lord together, and we jump right in the Bible. We don't go around like you do at a lot of small churches, and we're a small church, and say, well, Bob, when was your birthday? Oh, man, Bob, happy birthday. And Jamie, man, happy anniversary, Wendy and Jamie. You've been married five months. And so, (laughs) and uh Caleb, come on, tell us about that trip to... Now, we did that tonight, right? Why? Because it's a different service. We don't do all that during the worship service. What do we do? We get to the business of the vision and the mission and the word. If someone walks in this church any given Sunday and they've never been here, you know what they see? The word is first. The word is first. That's why this isn't a gymnatorium. I was wanting to make this kind of a gymnasium slash sanctuary. And the guys that was helping us put all this together, they were like, you know what? There'll be time for that. And they weren't totally against it, but they were like, we're about the Word of God. Let's put the Word first. I couldn't argue that. Let's make this a place where people come to, let's not confuse them with what we're doing. Let's make it about the Word. And I was like, and I was also like, yeah, we can rent a gym, you know, and we do. That's what we've always done. And they wanted, they wanted, not me, they wanted, the the guys, the older guys, they wanted this book to be center. They wanted everybody to walk in here and see this is what we're about. And they were afraid to distract people from that by, you know, the, even the decor. And so um, so your worship service at Heartland is that way for a purpose because we highlight the word. We go on longer in sermons than most churches can endure. There's a local church that, that needed a pastor when I first started, and one of our guys was like, hey, maybe, Brian, we can merge with these people. And they he went over to talk to him. and they're like, well, they, they said you got to go 35 minutes. And I... And that's a max. They got to be out at a certain time. And and uh, he said, I didn't even bother. He goes, I just told him that isn't going to work. <laughs> I was like, oh, praise God, it would not work. And uh, you know, those kind of shackles, we just don't have them. Uh, I mean, the word is is the main priority. And so, when you get to an adult Bible fellowship, though, uh, I'm not minimizing. Uh, hey, your anniversary, or or hey, let's go on a little bit further about that trip, or hey, we're going to go out tonight and. We're going to have a hayride, or what? We're, we do all that in the Adult Bible Fellowship. We're going to—I mean, there's everything from, um, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, prayer lists. If you ever go to Berean class? I got a prayer list up and down the board. 
praying together over there. That's what it's about, taking lots of time to get into those things. That's good. Um, it's relational. You need relational time. And that happens in a smaller group setting. And so you're going to be invited to you know, do things outside of class. And, and have a, you're going to have relationships that go deeper than just uh, meeting together and, uh, and hearing a message, is my point. Uh, it, the Word of God is definitely a priority, but you're also going to find added support and intimacy in relationship if an ABF is functioning properly. So naturally, by the way, uh, when you have a marriage issue or you have a child issue, you might come to me, and a lot of people do, but you might also go to your adult Bible fellowship pastor because he's not just a Sunday school teacher. In most churches, now we've, been, we've had a luxury here of I've been able to staff all my adult Bible fellowship with pastors. I mean, we're like, we're, we're, this is a great, God's really been good to, to Heartland and me, probably because of my weakness. But um, a lot of churches, you have Sunday school teachers. What's a Sunday school? Well, you get together, you kind of gossip a little bit maybe, and you go around to some lesson. But these guys that are in charge of our ABFs, they are not charged to be Sunday school teachers. They are charged to be pastors, shepherds, sheep herders, to care for the flock. And I'll tell you where that paid off was during COVID, right? Once COVID came, man, those units were able to continue to function, even when the worship service wasn't really functional, right? We're doing it on a television screen and all of that. And we did the ABFs kind of virtually as well. But even that, when we were getting around virtual stuff, you could do in an ABF that you couldn't do at the scale of a worship service because of just how they're built. And so God really used the ABFs. So i got Jeff in here. Jeff, do you have anything to add to ABFs? And so um, I encourage everyone to be a part of an ABF because that's where you really get that community that you get in a smaller church. It's really important out here in this cow field because once you get south of the metro, like when you go up, when you're up in Belton, Grandview, Lee Summit, Overland Park, when you get up closer to the, the city, uh, center, as you all call it down here, the city is anything north of Harrisonville. Uh, when you get up into the city, um, uh, it's different culturally. I mean, you'll have people that all they want to do is come to the big service. They want to be anonymous. They don't really care if they ever, if anyone ever knows about their anniversary. Uh, they just have other systems, they have other support systems. They don't really care. Uh, and and so it's different. Down here, people live away from the city center for a reason. They like smaller communities, and they like to interact as a community, and in some ways they want to be isolated too. Some people just want to get away completely. But when it comes to con- congregating as a church, a smaller community like an adult Bible fellowship is super necessary uh, for, the, for being out here in Cass County. I know uh, Mike Blakes went to things called Tribes up in Monmouth. It's been very helpful for him. It's sort of like an adult Bible fellowship, but that, that kind of community is very important to uh, to keep people cohesive, especially as you get into more rural set, uh, rural settings. As you go further into an urban setting, you can do more with those big worship services. So you know, abundant life, man. They just they can bring them in by the thousands. And the lack of connectivity doesn't bother a lot of people. And they also may not be as deep either. But yes, sir. Oh, totally. I think so. Yeah, and that's a lot of shepherding for those that aren't online. And it's, forgive me for not running the mic back there, Jeff, but amen to everything he said. And so in essence, he's just reiterating that a lot of the shepherding that goes on with uh, hospital visits and all of those things that go on the ABFs um, are done very efficiently and, and also able to be communicated back to me. But I also, I'm not very efficient. Um, and if I have to do that for 230 people, um, and that's the only resource the church has, there's going to be a lot of unmet expectations. Uh, and, and as Jeff knows, because Jeff helps me with the people who are not in ABFs, well, inside baseball. So the people who aren't in ABFs, that, who's that fall on right now? 
but falls on myself, and Jeff helps me with that, and the deacons. And it becomes it can become a little bit difficult at times because there's not the connectivity, so you're 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 having to kind of keep track of some of those things. And so in addition to connecting with people who just first come in the door, which is also kind of one of my main emphasis, but there's a lot, right? And he's he's right. Without ABFs, I would you know what, you automatically will have a much smaller ministry because you will eventually offend or not meet the needs of so many people <laughs> that they will inevitably want to go somewhere where they have their needs met because you can only get so big. Or you will be filled with a bunch of people who don't care and don't want to be intimate or connected, which doesn't work very good in a rural environment. But you guys have been part of a more mega church. I won't say names. And it is very disconnected, and you feel like a number and all of those things. So it looks like it's time for me to, to pull up here. Um, I'm almost done. So this isn't – let me quickly run through this, and we'll be done. Um, and the last one is uh, ministry as you grow, serve, uh, grow in Christ. Serving becomes a natural call. And so as we get into ministry activity, you get even more close with people in those ministry groups. So church conferences and events, uh, as you mentioned, Wendy, are also incredible. Uh, some of these outreach events, uh, 4th of July, Spark in the Park, uh, Harvest Party, so on and so forth, those are great times as well. And then lastly, uh, defining body life, because I really haven't even touched on that, and then we're done. Body life is not just about position in Christ, but participation with Christ through his body. So a definition of body life refers to the active participation in the local New Testament church and the body of Christ. So all believers are members of the body of Christ, but not all members engaged in the purpose God has intended. So can you imagine being an arm that doesn't engage with the body? It would hamper the rest of the body's function. Right? You'd be just hanging on you. And so we need to have life in the body. We, we can consider the smallest member, and they're all important. If you've ever stubbed your toe, right, or trimmed your nail down to the quick, uh, or had a small, a small speck in your eye, uh, there is not one part of your body that does not impact the other. Every body is important to the body. And there is life that goes between the body, and that's the way God designed it. Our physical bodies are just a picture of the spiritual body. So the Lord's Supper is an important ordinance that helps keep the body uh, unified as well. We'll talk more about that later. But remember, body life is not just about position in Christ. It is about participation. Right? There is a certain amount of positioning, but it really is about participation. And it's interesting how God will put the body pieces where it needs to be. So there's seven questions, and I'll be done for review. Are you saved? Are you sharing the gospel and your testimony? Are you obedient in believers' baptism? Are you following Christ as a disciple, doing the first things like attending worship and fellowship with the saints? Are you faithful in church attendance? Are you faithful in observing the Lord's Supper? which I just touched on, and are you seeing ways to serve others through the body of Christ? So those seven questions are really good questions that will help you really kind of consider your place in the body. Next time we get together, we'll talk about function, which is finding your place in the local church, and then we'll talk about relationship, uh, which is your relation with God and others, identification uh, with who God says you are, mission and vision, and then interaction. So let's go ahead, and I'm going to, instead of, I'm going to pray, and as we pray, I don't know where the the kids will be coming from, but I, hopefully they'll appear when I'm done. If not, we will pray that they appear. Heavenly Father, thank you for this.